Uh, let's go before the strong God Almighty. Lord Jesus, we invite you to come and be with us. We give you glory and honor and praise because you are above all. And Lord, you have chosen us. You have redeemed us. That is, you have forgiven us for our sins and you have given us the opportunity to sit under your word. Tonight, Lord Jesus, bless us. Enable us to hear what you have to say so that we will bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Human beings are nothing if we aren't self-centered. In fact, I am so self-centered that I am the most self-centered person on earth. Thank you. I needed at least one laugh. <laughs> but it's true. Everything we do, everything we think, and everything we see, immediately we turn it back on ourselves and we make it about looking after number one, right? Someone drives poorly on the road and I think they're doing it just to get my goat. A couple weeks ago, I'm up at 12,000 foot elevation. I see trash everywhere. And I just know that someone did it to get me upset. Too often, I go to God's word and I make even Bible verses all about me. What I mean by that is our culture has trained us to psychologize. We psychologize every text. At times we believe, if I just write this verse on my kitchen wall, or if I just say it enough times, it'll bring me good luck. It will change my attitude, fix my problems, or... Sometimes we believe that we have a lever to move God. We can hogtie God's arms behind his back, so to speak, to make him do what we think he ought to do. For example, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This does not mean I can do whatever challenge I have set before me. The context indicates that it means that though times are crushing, though things are hard, I can live to God's glory. Another one. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. I was a college-age pastor, and I had someone come to me, and they thought that this meant they can live like the devil... And as long as they prayed, it was all right. But the context says that it means you are free to enjoy life when you are living to God's glory. And I'm sure everyone in this room has come across this verse. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who seeks, asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door shall be opened. Many see this as an absolute blanket promise for their prayers. One that covers every desire of our wicked, self-centered, lying heart. 
Some see this passage and think, if I want a BMW, all I have to do is ask for it. All right, well, maybe we aren't that self-centered anymore. <laughs> Avalon. Maybe it's a relationship you're after. You wish that somebody would love you like you deserve. Maybe it's a different circumstance that you're after. Some health issue, job issue, some thing that you know that you're missing and you know that it's a right thing to ask for, but God isn't coming through on his word. This is not a blanket promise to get all of our deepest, darkest desires answered. And yet, the Holy Spirit has seen to it that this passage is in Scripture. What's more, it is next in our teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you may remember back in the spring, I taught on uh, Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6, and I began on Monday morning thinking that I was going to teach that this time, and I reread my sermon, and frankly, I couldn't think of anything better to say, so I just decided to leave it, <laughs> rather than preaching the second same sermon. But here we are, and we need to understand what Jesus is getting at within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think in part, Jesus gave us this passage because Jesus likes to be asked. Jesus likes to be asked. He likes to be asked persistently. He likes to be asked lovingly. And he likes to be asked trustingly. Let me read our passage for us this morning in Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. So the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let me state categorically one more time so that there's no mistake. This is not a blanket promise that you can just make up in your mind something you want God to do for you and he will do that. Now I suspect most people in this room already know that. But I want us to see what it does mean in the context, in the verses surrounding this, so that we can know what Jesus is saying. Jesus, in this context, is teaching that we must not, in verses 1 through 5, control through condemnation, through putting someone under your thumb, or in verse 6, by casting your pearls, giving your quote-unquote good advice that somebody would be foolish not to accept. Jesus is saying, don't try to control these others. Instead, verses 7 through 11, ask, seek, knock. 
The context of Matthew 7, 1 through 12 is all about relationship. In the first half of Matthew 7, we see how we are first not to relate to others and then how we are to relate to them. In focus here is the relationship between two individuals. And yet, as Christians, we never relate to another person in isolation from our relationship with God. You will never relate to another person again in isolation from your relationship with God. And this passage calls that into neon bright focus so that we can see that. God alone, not your condemnation, not your giving out pearls of advice, God alone is the one who can change a heart, who can open their eyes to see the light of the glory of the face of God in Jesus Christ. God alone is able to open blind eyes. And God alone is able to work directly on their hearts with those that you and I are seeking to persuade in our fight to steal souls from enemy territory and bring them into the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have forgiveness, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Number two, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, we understand that relationships are never built on control. Relationships are never built on control. One time, Pastor Duane jokingly said, he said, you know, I wish I was charismatic because then I could just say God told me that this is what we got to do and we'd have to do it. Now, he was messing around with us because he knows, just like we all know, that that's not a relationship. Relationships are healthy relationships, never are about trying to force someone to do something. Least of all, when that other we are relating to is the almighty God of the universe who created you and who knows all things. So if that's what Jesus isn't teaching, let's see what he is teaching. And like I said, Jesus likes to be asked. And he likes to be asked persistently. Verse 7, he writes, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, Jesus is here using repetition, this asks, seeks, knocks. He's using this idea to pound it into our heads. He's not distinguished, well, this is asking, this is seeking, and it, there's none of that going on. He's trying to make a point that Jesus makes numerous times in his teaching, and that is we must ask persistently. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us a story about a friend who goes and knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight and says, hey, give me some bread. Hey, my kids are asleep. Leave me alone. Go away. But if that guy 
keeps knocking, eventually he'll get up, give him whatever on earth he wants just to get rid of him. And Jesus uses that as a teaching to teach you and me to ask persistently. Not content with that, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus goes on and he tells a story about an unjust judge. And he has this old lady coming and trying to bother him into giving her justice. And he says, fine, fine, leave me alone and I'll do it. But notice the commentary that Jesus gives immediately after that in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Notice, cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Certainly, the same lesson is being taught in these two verses. And we must remember that this asking, this seeking, this knocking, all depend on the person being asked to respond. Now, if you go to your spouse and you ask for something, you know that she might just say no to whatever you've asked. And you know what? She has the right to say no. Because you asked. And that is what in part is going on here. Relationship is preeminent. God wants you to ask him. God is not giving you a whip with which to beat him. Never, ever, ever presume to think that you have the upper hand on God. No matter how just you believe your request to be. You cannot turn this verse into a God, you have to answer me prayer. If you do, you will be in a bad position. Just remember that. So then, if that's true, what does this look like in real life? Well, great question. This dealing with another person. You're dealing with someone, perhaps a non-believer, perhaps a believer who's caught in some sin and you're wanting to help this person climb out of that sin. So what do you do? You ask, you seek, you knock on God's door. Do you want to help someone walk with Jesus? Do you want to help someone overcome their difficulty? Bring that to Jesus. He is the only one, not your condemning looks, not your gifts of pearls of advice. None of that is going to work. Only going to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This knocking, asking and seeking and knocking relate to our work in the kingdom with those who are near us. That is what Jesus is talking about here. Now, might that include a BMW or a new relationship or a new job? Perhaps. But the only way to determine what a word or phrase or verse means is by this context. And in this case, the context makes it clear that when you are loving those nearest you, you are concerned enough to bring that problem before the Lord because he's the only one who can solve it. Jesus likes to be asked persistently. 
Now the rest, the next three verses, I've kind of divided up into two points. And I, I divided them up into two points, not because they're unrelated, but because they're so closely related that they're almost one point. But I wanted to emphasize a slight difference. And that is in the first, point, first part, in verse 9 and 10, Jesus is asking us to ask him lovingly. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The basis, the, the premise, the foundation of these two verses is a relationship between a father and son. And any son who loves and respects his father and any father who loves and nurtures his son will understand exactly what is going on here. The father only gives the child what he believes to be good gifts. Jesus then takes this understanding that is just at the base of our consciousness and he moves from the generalized relationships of Matthew 7, 1 through 6 to one of the most central and specific and intimate relationships that exist, that of a parent and a child. Jesus will not relent in his helping you and me to understand the centrality of asking. Asking, depending upon God as we build our relationships with those around us, is how we will succeed in bringing the promises of God to the world, to our near ones, to those who are close to us. And we bring them these promises because it's the promises of God that will change their today, their tomorrow, and their eternity. It's not our dirty looks or our pearls of wisdom in our advice. Go, my brothers and sisters, to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go to him in prayer, knowing that you are heard. Go to your creator and Savior in prayer, knowing that he cares. Because Jesus loves to be asked lovingly. Without changing his metaphor, his image, Jesus continues in verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So what happens in light of these verses when your loved one remains turned away from Jesus? What happens when Christians continue to be butchered in Syria in Iraq, in spite of our prayers. What happens when you remain alone in spite of your deepest pleas for grace? What happens when we don't get what we ask for? Well, you continue to trust the all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing Father in heaven who always does what is best. That's it. That's the point. 
trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Look, I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not the one who wrote this down. This is what God's word says. I've told you, told me many times. Christianity is simple. But I've never said it was easy. And we live in this finite, sick, sinful world in sometimes great anguish. And part of that anguish is the seeming unanswered prayers. And it hurts. And we're fools if we try to avoid it. But we remember, we remember that if we, though we are evil, he says, know how to give good gifts, how much more than the Father who loves you and has loved you from before time began, how much more is he able to give good gifts to you? Lord Almighty, give us trust in your promises because we cannot muster it ourselves. And God, I confess that this is a painful reality. And I look at my brothers and sisters here in front of me and I know some of their pain. And God, I know you know that pain even better than I Lord, I pray that you would minister your healing touch to us so that we can have that sense of your presence so that like so many in the Old Testament, Lord, we can sense your presence and we will know you better and because we know you better, we will love you and trust you more. Jesus likes to be asked trustingly. Let me finish this text. I'm going to do verse 12 by looking at our final verse. And then I want to move forward and I want to perhaps relieve some of the tension that we feel right now. This, the final evidence that the context of all this asking, seeking, and knocking that we're talking about has to do with prayer for those who are nearest us, Jesus here makes absolutely clear that this whole thing is about others in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule for many seems to be, you know, a, a string of pearls, so to speak, that there's these unrelated but beautiful little comments that Jesus makes throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount. That is hogwash. And let me tell you, with no uncertain terms, not to believe that. Jesus, <laughs> need it be said, knew what he was doing when he wrote the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, praise Jesus, was empowered by the Holy Spirit to put it down in the order and the way that he did. Verse 12 is not just some isolated idea. In fact, 
It's interesting. My favorite spiritual growth author, Dallas Willard, looks at verse 12 and he says specifically that it sums up the first 11 verses in Matthew chapter 7. Then I read one of my favorite preachers of all time, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he specifically says, no, it sums up all of the Sermon on the Mount up to including verse 12. Now, I don't really think that there's that much difference between these two opinions. If you go back and you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that at least a major emphasis is on how we relate to others. As long as you remember that as Christians, we never relate to anybody apart from our relationship with Jesus. Indeed, this has to be true because of what Jesus' beloved friend John wrote. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. <laughs> There's no minced words there. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And if you take this view, it remains true that the first 11 verses of Matthew 7 are also summed up by verse 12. Asking, seeking, and knocking is all about lovingly, graciously, and hopefully relating to those around you as you relate to the Almighty because Jesus likes to be asked. I've done the best job I could to convince you of a limiting of the scope of Matthew 7, 7, and 8. I want you to understand that Matthew 7, 7, 8 is not a blanket promise you can just take anything and expect God will answer you. It is specifically about God answering prayers so that you and I can be his ambassadors. God is interested in blessing our work for him as you represent him in your quest to enable others to see the glory of God in and through you. And yet, the promise is staggering. Read with me one more time this verse. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I want you to consider these two verses as it were with new eyes. Rather than looking at a blanket promise for a brand new Beamer, look at it as a promise so that you can go to your neighbors, so that you can go to your loved ones, so that you can go to the person you meet at Albertsons and you can share the love and the power and the grace and the wisdom and the beauty of the almighty king of the universe. And he will help you do it. Amen? So. <laughs> that. Begs a question. Why on earth. Why could it possibly be true. Given these promises. Why should it be that there is such a low expectation of spiritual growth as we see today? 
Why do we not even expect to see people come to Christ? Instead, we apologetically share the gospel. Oh, well, uh, this, this is what my church teaches. This is what God's word teaches, my friends. Why do we expect to lose the battle when we have such staggering promises? I'm summing up and kind of modifying Martin Lloyd-Jones's points here. Number one, we fail because we fail to take time to understand our needs. If our requests are for things relationships, circumstances, then we fail to realize that if we have problems that can be solved by money, we ain't got no problems. Our need instead is for the good news of Jesus Christ to invade every cell of our body and every second of our day. Our need is for the good news of Jesus Christ to invade the lives of those who are nearest us because we are his ambassadors. We are the ambassadors of the king of the universe. We fail to take the time to understand our need. Secondly, we fail to take the time to bang on God's door. God does not show himself to be a miraculous provider because we don't depend on him to provide miracles. God does not show himself to be a miraculous provider because we don't depend on him to provide miracles. As noted above, Jesus labored to express the reality of the need to ask, to seek, and to knock over and over and over again. But you and I are too stinking lazy. We fill our lives with noise of every kind. And furthermore, we are far too easily discouraged. Listen. Relationships with everyone, your child, your neighbor, your spouse, your God. Your relationships are built on trust over time. Go to your Lord over and over again and allow him to hear your request and sometimes change your heart and sharpen your requests so that he can give you that which brings you joy, him glory, and growth to his kingdom. We fail because we take, fail to take time to understand our need. We fail to take time to bang on God's door. And thirdly, we fail to have this kind of awesome pouring out of God's grace and power and mercy because we fail to resist contentment with the world in which we live. If our test for these verses is to see if God will give us a Mercedes Benz. Oh, come on. Someone knows that song. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> then you've missed the point. If that's your test, you've missed the point. If you are content with what the world can give, you've missed the point because God has gone through extreme measures. 
to drive that desire from your soul. Jesus will not allow you to hold such a defective view of his, of his promises when he went to the cross to obliterate those desires. Perhaps that's why you're here sitting and listening to this message. Perhaps that is why so many of our prayers bounce off concrete ceilings when we're laying in our beds. These are astounding words. They, they, they should not just bounce off your eyeballs because you've been reading them longer than I've been alive. But instead, they should shock you and make you realize that you have the almighty God of the universe at your back when you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those you love. When you are sharing your love and concern for those who are around you so that they can know the power of God through you. Jesus gives in these verses should drive us to our knees both in joy and in desperation to love those nearest us by drawing our hearts close to the one who can help them. Jesus likes to be asked. Oh God, we come before you now and we ask that you would minister, first of all, to our hearts so that we would be the men and the women that you have created us to be, so that we would glorify you by sharing the love of God and the power of the Spirit and leave the results to you, knowing that you will be there when we call out on you to bless those who are around us. Give us grace to do that for our joy, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.